Hello, beautiful souls. Hello, Annie G here, and welcome to my podcast, Living Sober, where I talk all about being sober, staying sober, and how to deal with our sobriety on an everyday basis. Welcome to anyone who's new, and welcome to anyone who is returning. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. I hope you find comfort and guidance here for your sobriety, and always remember that you are not alone in your struggles and in your addictions. Hello, beautiful souls. Hello, and welcome to Living Sober with Annie G. So for today's episode, I wanted to actually read through step four from the 12 and 12 book. So if you have your 12 and 12, open up to page 42, uh, where it is step four, and definitely feel free to read along with me. So I'm going to go ahead and get started because it is definitely a couple pages long. So let's go ahead and start. Again, it's on page 42, step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Creation gave us instincts, instincts for a purpose. Without them, we wouldn't be complete human beings. If men and women didn't exert themselves to be secure in their persons, made no effort to harvest food or construct shelter, there would be no survival. If they didn't reproduce, the earth wouldn't be populated. If there were no social instinct, if men cared nothing for the society of one another, there would there would be no society. So these desires for this sex relation, for material and emotional security, and for companionship are perfectly necessary and right and surely the creator's given. Yet these instincts, so necessary for our existence, often far exceed their proper functions. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly, they drive us, dominate us, and insist upon ruling our lives. Our desires for sex, for material and emotional security, and for an important place in society often tyrannize us. When, when thus out of joint, man's natural desire caused him great trouble, practically all the trouble there is. No human being, however good, is exempt from these troubles. Nearly every, every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. When that happens, our great natural, natural assets, the instincts, have turned into physical and mental liabilities. Step four is our vigorous and painstaking effort to discover what these disabilities in each of us have been and are. We want to find exactly how, when, and where our natural desires have warped us. We wish to look squarely at the unhappiness that has that this has caused others and ourselves. By discovering what our emotional deformities are, we can move forward towards their correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or con contentment for us. Without a searching and fearless moral inventory, most of us have found uh, that the faith which really works in daily living is still out of reach. Before tackling the inventory problem in detail, let's have a closer look at what the basic problem is. Simple examples like the following take on a world of meaning when we think about them. Suppose a person places sex desire ahead of everything else. In such a case, this imperious urge can destroy his chances for material and emotional security as well as his standing in the community. Another may develop such an obsession for financial security that he wants, he wants to do nothing but hoard money. That's interesting. Going into the extreme, he can become a miser or even a, a recluse who denies himself uh, both family and friends. Nor 
Is the quest for security always expressed in terms of money? How frequently we see a frightened human being determined to deepen to depend completely upon a stronger person for guidance and protection. This weak one failing to meet life's responsibilities with his own resources never grows up. Disillusionment and helplessness are his lot. In time, all his protectors either flee or die, and he is once more left alone and afraid. We have also seen men and women who go power mad, who devote themselves to attempting to rule their fellows. These people often throw to the winds every chance for legitimate security and a happy family life. Whenever a human being becomes a battleground for the instincts, there can be no peace. But that is not all the danger. Every time a person imposes his instincts unreasonably upon others, unhappiness follows. If the pursuit of wealth tramples upon people who has happened to be in the way, then anger, jealousy, and revenge are likely to be aroused. If sex runs riot, there is a similar uproar. Demand, demands made upon other people for too much attention, protection, and love can only invite domination or revulsion in the protectors themselves, two emotions quite as unhealthy as the demands which evoked them. When an individual's desire for prestige becomes uncontrollable, whether in the sewing circle or at the international conference table, other people suffer and often revolt. This, col this collision of instincts can produce anything from a cold snub to a blazing revolution. In these ways, we are set in conflict not only with ourselves but with other people who have instincts too. Alcoholics especially should be able to see that instincts run wild in themselves in the underlying cause of their destructive drinking. We have drunk to drown feelings of fear, frustration, and depression. We have drunk to escape the guilt of passions and then have drunk again to make more passions possible. We have drank for vanc uh, for vanc I'm sorry, we have drunk for vain glory that we might the more enjoy foolish dreams of pomp and power. This persevering soul sickness is not pleasant to look upon. Instincts on rampage, balk at investigation. The minutes we make a serious attempt to probe them, we are liable to suffer severe reactions. If temper... If temperamentally we are on the depressive side, we are apt to be swamped with guilt and self-loathing. We wallow in this messy bog, often getting a mishappen and painful pleasure of it. As we morbidly pursue this melancholy activity, we may sink to such a point of despair that nothing but oblivion looks upon possible as a solution. Here, of course, we have lost all perspective and therefore all genuine humility. For this is pride in reverse. This is not a moral inventory at all. It is the very process by which the depressive has so often been led to the bottle and extinction. If, however, our natural dis disposition is inclined to self-righteousness or grand grandiosity, our reaction will be just the opposite. We will be offended at AA's suggestion inventory. No doubt we shall point with pride to the good lives we thought we led before the bottle cut us down. We shall claim that our serious character defects, if we think we have any at all, have been caused chiefly by excessive drinking or using. This being so, we think it logically follows 
that sobriety, first, last, and all the time, is the only thing we need to work for. We believe that our one-time good character will be revived the moment we quit alcohol or drugs. If we were pretty... If we were pretty nice people all along, except for our drinking, what need is there for a moral inventory? Now, what what we are sober, <laughs> we also clutch to another wonderful excuse for avoiding an inventory. Our, our present anxieties and troubles we cry are caused by the behavior of other people, people who really need a moral inventory. We firmly believe that if only they'd treat us better, we'd be all right. Therefore, we think our indignation is justified and reasonable, that our resentments are the right kind, quote unquote, right kind. We aren't the guilty ones. They are. At this stage, if the inventory proceedings, our sponsors come to see, come to the rescue. They can do this for they are the carriers of AA's tested experience with step four. They comfort the melancholy one by first, showing them that their case is not strange or different and that their character defects are probably not more numerous or worse than those of anyone else in AA. And yes, that is also very, very true. This is a sponsor promptly provide. Uh, this the sponsor promptly provides by talking freely and easily and without exhibitionism about their own defects, past and present. This calm yet realistic stock taking is immensely reassuring. The sponsor probably points out that the newcomer has some sets, uh, some assets which can be noted along with their liabilities. This tends to clear away morbidity and encourage balance. As soon as they begin to be more objective, the newcomer can fearlessly rather than fearfully look at their own defects. The sponsor of those who feel they need no inventory are confronted with quite another problem. This is because people who are driven by pride of self unconsciously blind themselves to their liabilities. These newcomers scarcely need comforting. The problem is to help them discover a a chink in the wall uh, walls of their ego has built, though through which the light of reason can shine. First off, they can be told that the majority of AA members have suffered severely from self-justification during their drinking days. For most of us, self-justification was the maker of excuse. Uh, excuses. Excuses, of course, for drinking and for all kinds of crazy and damaging conduct. We have made the inventions of alibis of fine art. We have had a drink because times were hard or times were good. We had to drink because at home we were smothered with love or got none at all. We had to drink because uh, at work we were great success or dismal failures. We had to drink because our nation had won a war or lost at peace. And so it went on and on ad infinitumus. We thought conditions, quote unquote conditions, drove us to drink. And when we tried to correct these conditions and found that we couldn't to our entire satisfaction, our drinking went out of hand and we became alcoholics and addicts. It never occurred to us that we needed to change ourselves to meet uh, conditions, whatever they were. But in AA, we slowly learned that something had to be done about our vengeful resentments, self-pity, and unwarranted pride. We had to see that every time we played the big shot, we turned 
We turned people against us. We had to see that when we harbored grudges and planned revenge for such defeats, we were really beating ourselves with the club after anger we had intended to use on others. We learned that if we were seriously disturbed, our first need was was to quiet and to quiet that disturbance, regardless of who or what we thought caused it. To see how erratic our emotions victimized us often took a long time. We could perceive them quickly in others, but only slowly within ourselves. First of all, we had to admit that we had many of these defects, even though such disclosures were painful and humiliating. Where those people, where those people were concerned, we had to drop the word quote-unquote blame from our speech and thought. This required great willingness even to begin. But once over the first two or three high hurdles, of course, the head began to look easier. For we had started to get perspective on ourselves, which is another way of saying that we were gaining in humility. Now, again, I just want to take a pause really quick and just highlight the fact here that the book is also highlighting humility, how important humility truly is to our well-being, to our sobriety, and to us actually staying sober. Not just, you know, being honest with ourselves, but the willingness to do all... I just want to go ahead and take a couple seconds to remind all of my fellow listeners that if you are enjoying this episode and enjoying my podcast here on Living Sober, to please remember that any and all of your support is appreciated and you can go ahead and show your support uh, with monthly donations right here. Um, there is no no minimum or maximum, no matter how big or small. I appreciate all of the support that you are willing and able to show to me and my little podcast here. I am here just trying to help each and every single one of you. And behind the scenes, there is a lot that goes in on making these uh, go live for all of you. All of these episodes takes a lot of time, effort, and money, and any and all donations are very much so appreciated and welcomed. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for choosing you and your sobriety and for listening. And thank you for your support monthly and just for listening. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the episode. of this to do all of these works it's very important it's very important that we really do it for ourselves and we don't you know give up we don't give up that willingness um, not ever no matter how much time goes by that willingness is something that has to always be there and never be never never die you know never dies down because that is you that is your sobriety um, and that willingness um, and that honesty is going to be everything So I'm going to continue reading now. So, of course, the uh, depressive and the high power driver are personality extreme types, which with with which AA and the whole world abound. Often these personalities are just as sharply defined as the examples given. But just as often, some of us will fit more or less into both classifications. Human beings are never quite alike, so each of us, when making an inventory, will need to determine what this individual character defects are. Having found the shoes that fit, he ought to step into them and walk with the new confidence that they have set at last on the right track. Now let's ponder the need for the list of the more glaring personality defects, all of us having 
have in varying degrees. To those having religious training, such as a list, would set forth serious violations of moral principles. Some others will think of this list as defects of character. Still, others will call it an index of maladjustments. Some will become quite annoyed if there is talk about immorality, let alone sin. But all who are in the least responsible will agree upon one point, that there is plenty wrong with us alcoholics about which plenty will have to be done if we are to expect sobriety progress and any real ability to cope with life to avoid falling into confusion over the names these defeats should be called let's take a universally recognized list of major human failings the seven deadly sins of pride greed lust anger gluttony envy and sloth it is not by accident that pride heads the procession and yes so these are the seven deadly sins So for pride leading to self-justification and always spurred by conscious or unconscious fears is the basic breeder of most human difficulties, the chief block to true progress. Pride lures us into making demands upon ourselves or upon others which cannot be met without perverting or misusing our god-given instincts when the satisfaction of our instincts for sex security and society becomes the sole object of our lives then pride steps into the uh, in to justify our excesses all these failings generate fear a soul sickness in its own right then fear in turn generates more character defects unreasonable fear that our instincts will not be satisfied drives us to covert the possessions of others or lust for sex and power to become angry when our instinctive demands are threatened to be envious when the ambitions of others seem to be realized while ours are not we eat drink and grab for more of everything than we need fearing we shall never have enough and with genuine alarm as the prospect at the prospect of work we stay lazy we loaf and procrastinate or at the best grooting grudgingly and under half steam these fears are the termites that ceasingly devour the foundation of whatever sort of life we are trying to build see this is also talking about foundations and i love how it's talking about like your bad decisions constantly as addicts we are we are our own termites you know cutting down the foundation that we need to be building up and i, I really like how it's saying that So I'm going to continue reading. So when AA suggests a fearless moral inventory, it must seem to every newcomer that more is being asked of themselves than they can do. Both his pride and his fear beat him back every time he tries to look at himself. Pride says, you need to not pass this way. And fear says, you dare not look. But the testimony of AA's of AAs who have really tried a moral inventory is that pride and fear of this sort turn out to be a boogeyman nothing else once we have a complete willingness to take inventory and exert ourselves to do the job thoroughly a wonderful light falls upon this foggy scene as we persist a brand new kind of confidence is born and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indes- indescribable These are the first fruits of step four. By now, the newcomer has probably arrived at the following conclusions, that his character defects, respectively instincts gone astray, have been the primary cause of, her, of their drinking and their failures at life. That unless um, 
uh, he or she is now willing to work hard at the elimination of the worst of these defects, both sobriety and peace of mind will still elude them. That all the uh, faulty foundation of his life will have to be torn out and built anew on bedrock. Now willing to commence the search of uh, his or her own defects, uh, they will ask, just how do I go about this? How do I take inventory of myself? Since step four is but the beginning of a lifetime practice, it can be suggested that the first that you first have to look at those personal flaws, which are acutely troublesome and fairly obvious. Using, using to the best of your judgment of what has been right and what has been wrong, you might make a rough survey of your conduct with respect of your primary instinct for sex security in society. Looking back over your life, you can readily get underway by considering of questions such as these. When and how, in just what instances, did my... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to read that again. When and how, and in just what instances, did my selfish pursuit of the sex relation damage other people and me? What people were hurt, and how badly? Did I spoil my marriage and injure my children? Did I jeopardize my standing in my community? Just how did I react to these situations at the time? Did I burn with a guilt that nothing could extinguish? Or did I insist that I was the pursued and not the pursuer and thus absolve myself? How have I reacted to fr uh, frustration in sexual matters? When denied, did I become vengeful or depressed? Did I take it out on other people? If there was rejection or coldness at home, did I use this as a reason for pr promiscuity? Also of importance for most alcoholics or addicts are the questions they must ask about their behavior respecting financial and emotional security. In these, in these areas, fear, greed, possessiveness, and pride have too often done their worst. Surveying their business or employment record, almost any alcoholic or addict can ask questions like these. In addition to my drinking problem or my addiction problem, what character defects contribute to my financial instability? Did fear and inventory about my fitness for my job destroy my confidence and fill me with conflict? Did I try to cover up those feelings of inadequacy in inadequacy by bluffing, cheating, lying, or evading responsibility? Or by gripping that others failed to recognize my truly exceptional abilities? Did I overvalue myself and play the big shot? Did I... Did I have such in-principled ambitions that I double-crossed and undercut my associates? Was I ex extravagant? Did I recklessly borrow money carrying leather, little, little whether it was repaid or not? Was I a pinch penny refusing to support my family properly? Did I cut corners financially? What about the quote-unquote quick money deals, the cost market, and the races? Businesswoman in A businesswoman in AA will naturally find that many of these questions apply to them too. But the alcoholic housewife can also make the family financially insecure. She can juggle charge accounts, manipulate the food budget, spend her afternoons gambling, and run her husband into debt by irresponsibly wasting and extravagance. But all, um, but all alcoholics and addicts who have drunk themselves out of jobs, family, and friends will need to cross-examine themselves ruthlessly to determine how their own personality defects have thus demolished their security. 
the most common symptoms of emotional security are worry, anger, self-pity, and depression. These stem from causes which sometimes seem to be within us and at other times to come from without. To take inventory in this respect, we ought to consider careful all personal relationships, relationships which bring continuous or recurring trouble. It should be remembered that this kind of insecurity may arise in any area where instincts are threatened. Questioning direct, directed to this end might run like this. Looking at both past and present, what sex situations have caused me anxiety, bitterness, frustration, or depression? Appraising it, each situation fairly. Can I see where I have been at fault? Did I see... I'm sorry. Did these uh, perpetuity... Perpetu perplexities uh, beset me because of selfishness or unreasonable demands or if my disturbance was seemingly caused by the behavior of others why do i lack the ability to accept uh, conditions i cannot change these are the sort of fundamental inquiries that can disclose the source of my discomfort and indicate whether i may be able to alter my own conduct and so adjust myself to serenely uh, to self-discipline Suppose that financial insecurity constantly arouses these same feelings. I can ask myself to what extent have my own mistakes fed my non-gnawing anxieties? And if the actions of others are part of the cause, what can I do about that? If I am unable to change the present state of affairs, am I willing to take the measures necessary to shape my life to conditions as they are? Questions like these more are which will come to mind easily in which individuals' case will help turn up the root causes. But it is from our twisted relations with family, friends, and society at large that many of us have suffered the most. We have been especially stupid and stubborn about them. The primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with our with another human being our our um, egomania digs two disastrous pitfalls either we insist upon dominating the people we know or we depend upon them far too much if we lean too heavily on people they will sooner or later fail us for they are human too and cannot possibly meet our um, insistent demands in this way our insecurity grows and festers when when we habitually try to manipulate others to our own willful desires, they revolt and resist us heavily. Then we develop hurt feelings, a sense of persecution and a desire to and a desire to retaliate. As we redouble our efforts to at control and continue to fail, our suffering becomes acute and constant. We have not once sought to be one in a family, to be a friend among friends, to be a worker among workers, to be a useful member of society. Always we try to struggle at the top of the heap or to hide underneath it. This self-centered behavior uh, blocked a partnership relationship with any one of those about us. Of those true brotherhoods, we had small compensation. Some will object to many of the questions posed because they think their own character defects have not been so glary. To these, it can be suggested that the consciousness examination is likely to reveal that the very defects the objectable questions are concerning with. Because our surface record hasn't looked too bad, we have frequently been um, we have frequently been abashed to find that this is this so simply because we have buried these self-same defects deep down in us under thick layers of self-justification. Whatever the defects they have finally 
ambushed us into alcoholism and misery. Therefore, thoroughness ought to be the watchword when making inventory. In this connection, it is, a it is wise to write out our questions and answers. It will be an aid to clear thinking and honest appraisal. It will be the first tangible evidence of our complete willingness to move forward. And that was the step four in the 12 and 12th book. And yes, so we saw willingness, we saw honesty, and, you know, it's, these are all very important things. You need to be very willing to be honest with yourself, you know, ask the questions that you need to ask and do the things that you need to do with your sponsor and stop worrying about how you're going to look about things because this is sobriety and this is recovery. This isn't church. You don't have to worry um, and, you know, it's just doing these things. Honestly, it's very important. So I hope you guys enjoyed that reading. Until next time, blessed be everybody. And I hope you choose yourself and choose to stay sober for another 24 hours. Blessed be everybody. Bye.